0: St. Derby. Good evening. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Phil. Uh, Today's a really significant day for us. Um, It is our first birthday, and um, it it may not mean as much for you. I don't know where you've come on the journey, but for me... Uh, this this feels like a really, really significant moment. So um, yeah, I'm really excited. Everybody loves a good story. It's why the movie business is as big as it is and why it makes such an absolute fortune. We all love good stories because stories do something to us. They capture something within us. They grab hold of our imagination and, and really good stories grab hold of our hearts. They move us. There's emotion. There's laughter. There's crying. Um, just out of curiosity, does anybody watch This Is Us? <laughs> I've got, I can see two hands. Three, three hands. Okay, seriously, Best TV program going at the moment. It will make you cry like a baby. Um, It moves you. It is brilliant. Everybody loves a good story. Because sometimes when you watch a good story, not only does it grab you and it sparks your imagination and gets emotional, but you start to learn something. You start to perhaps find yourself in it. As characters develop and plot twists and there's a a challenge that has to be overcome and you're working out this story and you're thinking, what is this teaching me? Everybody loves a good story. And of course, in years past, before the printing press was around, stories were told to one another. They weren't just stories, things that you read, they were passed on from generation to generation, word of mouth to word of mouth. They told stories, and in those moments, they did it because it helped communities find belonging. This is what it means to be part of our community, part of our tribe, part of our nation, is this story. And as you hear those stories, you belong, but you also find identity, You find identity and you find purpose and meaning and connection because everybody loves a good story. And this evening, I want to tell you four stories. I'm going to tell you stories that involve an Ebenezer, a dead goose, a Roman soldier, and you. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for the fact that we are one year old, that we can stand here today and celebrate all that you have done amongst us. Lord, we thank you for the story that is being lived out before our very eyes. And tonight we pray that you can help us to find our part in the greatest story ever told. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we think Ebenezer nowadays, most of the time when we think Ebenezer, we think Ebenezer Scrooge, which is a le- legitimate kind of thought that we have when it comes to the word Ebenezer. And when we think Ebenezer Scrooge, we think some really tight, old, grumpy man, as my 11-year-old daughter would say, me. And um, we th- we have these images of what that what that Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge is, but two thousand years ago, probably actually no longer than that, three thousand years ago, and Ebenezer was something very different. As Israel, the story of Israel and how they formed this nation under, that was promised to Abraham as it developed and grew and then went into the promised land and became who it was supposed to be, the story involves a lot of bloodshed. And at this point in the story that we're going to jump into this, afternoon, this evening, there's a, there's a fight going on, there's a battle going on with the Philistines. If you think Philistines, you might think, if you know any of the Old Testament scriptures, you might think David and Goliath. Okay, Philistines, big, big men, fights with the Israel to over land, trying to establish themselves in the right place. In the moment of the story that we're connecting with, there was a guy called Samuel. Samuel was an incredible man. He was someone who his mum, Hannah, had wept over and cried out to. She had been barren for years, and she was longing and longing for a child, and God gave her her heart's desire. And so she dedicated Samuel back to God. She said, he's yours, God. You've blessed me with him. He's yours. And so God used Samuel in amazing ways. He was a prophet. He knew how to hear the voice of God, and he would speak things out over the nation of Israel. Samuel was going to become the person who anointed both Saul and David as king. But in this moment, he's leading Israel against the Philistines, the big, hairy, scary Philistines. They go into battle. The Philistines look like they're absolutely going to trounce Israel, that this is going to be their victory, easy peasy, and Samuel cries out to God. And in the moment of him crying out to God, God sends this kind of panic through the Philistine nation as their army. As they're fighting, they're kind of, they don't understand what's going on. They all get into confusion and get scared and they all start running around all over the place. And so the Israelites managed to go in and kill them and win the battle. And so Samuel, leading the nation at this point, picks up a stone. an Ebenezer stone at this point in time the word Ebenezer means a stone of help he picks up this stone and he says God has helped us and he places it down he says thus far the Lord has helped us 1 Samuel 7 verse 12, thus far the Lord has helped us. He's taken us through these battles, these challenges, these difficulties and we've got to this place and thus far the Lord has helped us as we placed down a stone. As an act of remembrance, as an act of saying God has done this and we're going to put this stone down. Now in the Old Testament times that Placing stones was a kind of well-known thing. They did it to kind of remember and to to pick up uh, history and, again, to tell the story. In Joshua 4, we read this. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean?, Tell them, tell them that this is what God has done for Israel. There was this moment where they would place a stone, a pile of stones, a gathering of stones, and they would say, thus far the Lord has helped us. He's taken us this far, and we're going to remember him. We're going to thank him because he has got us here. And so tonight, for words, in our first year birthday anniversary, we're going to place some Ebenezer stones. We're going to say thank you, Lord, for bringing us this far. The stones act as a way for us to tell the story and to remember what God has done. And so if you'll indulge me for a few moments, I want to tell you the story of St. Werburgh's Because this is where we find the dead goose. Actually, we found a dead pigeon just down there when we first walked in. But St. um died in the year 700. I've told this story a few times, if you've been here before, but she died in the year 700. She was the daughter of the King of Mercia, which from what I understand is like the King of the Midlands. And um, instead of uh, becoming the, the next princess or going into royalty and doing that, she gave all of that up so that she could go into the monastic lifestyle. She became a nun and um, she served the poor and she set up a, an attitude of prayer and a community of people who would do that they would pray and they would serve the poor and to become a saint you have to do a miracle and the miracle that is attributed to Saint Werberg is that she loved geese and um, one day a very dead goose uh, from from what I can google very dead not just like knocked on the head slightly unconscious but like rotting flesh, bones dead and um, she prayed over this goose and this goose came back alive resurrection happened it seems like, if you ask me one of the most pointless miracles I've ever heard of but it allows us to place our story with hers because in her story there's things about death coming back to life This church was sold off over 30 years ago. It was closed as a place of worship. It was sold, first of all, it became a a kind of marketplace, then it became a Chinese restaurant, and then for about seven years, this place was completely derelict except for the dead pigeon in the corner. And then this time last year, we brought it back to life. Resurrection life happened. God was on the move. I promise you, this time last year, we did not have a clue who was going to turn up. I thought it was us and the team and maybe one or two others, and it was a church like this, and we were like, this is crazy, Um, and God has brought it back to life. And we opened St. Warburg's with a vision to build an authentic community which is Christ-centered that plays our part in transforming this city and beyond. And in the year since, we've seen miraculous things happen. We started with just a Sunday evening service, this service, the 6.30 service. And, we start, and the midweek, we did a midweek prayer evening. We did that for the whole of the first term, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We had Christmas, we celebrated. And then in January, we started our first Alpha course. As we've been inviting people to come on Alpha already, as Andy's mentioned. And our first Alpha course, we had 120 people, we couldn't believe it. And it was incredible to see people coming along, bringing their friends, finding out and exploring about faith. We had our first Alpha weekend away, which was just brilliant. We got to March, and we started our second service. We were able to start a 10.30 morning service, and uh, we had kids' work being set up. We then get to May, and we start our WORBS groups. And over the space of that year, I reckon we've probably cooked over 2,000 burgers. We've eaten over 1,000 donuts. And probably somewhere around four to 5,000 teas and coffees have been drunk in one year, you greedy so-and-sos. Youth work has started. Student groups have connected and met up. And we've got 30, 40 students in our, connect- in our student group. We've got young adults gathering together. We're seeing communities being formed with Jesus at the centre that are starting to shape our city and people's lives. It is so incredible. One of the big stories that goes along behind all of this is, um, this is my indulgent piece, so sorry if this gets a bit too much. But the journey for us as a family to come and plant here started in January 2016. And from January 2016 through to us actually moving here in August 2017, the opportunity to come and plant a church in Derby and bring this building back to life and see a church here came so close to breaking down on so many occasions. Moments of thinking that I was going to move my whole family here and it was just all going to go belly up. And most of that was around this building and was around finances. So on the day that we first opened, on September the 17th, 2017, we only got permission to be in here on the Friday night. So we'd done all our publicity, and we'd invited you all and and kind of told everybody, but we didn't know we could actually be here. The doors might have been shut. It was that close to not coming about. And then in the year that we've been running, we knew in our head that we had to raise £150,000 so that we could buy this building. And so in April, we started that that ask really not only to raise 150,000 to kind of be able to purchase the building but we also needed to raise a further 30,000 just to kind of meet our running costs for the year and we're like this is crazy how's this ever going to come about on Friday this week just gone we completed on this building you now own this building God has provided and led and drawn us to this place and we are now here. They can't kick us out anymore. They can't shut us down. We're in. And we're established. And it might not mean much to you. Anna kept telling me, it doesn't mean anything, Phil. We've been in for a year and I'm like, it means a lot to me. It means a heck of a lot to me. So thank you to those of you who've played your part in making that possible and in how God has provided for us so that we can raise that money and make sure we buy this building. It has been an incredible year. But amongst all of those statistics and finances and all those other things that are vaguely interesting to some, actually the really exciting stuff is lives. It's people. It's people whose lives are being started to shape and mould around what God has been doing through Werbergs. We've seen over 20 people, I reckon, make a commitment to Jesus Christ in the past year. We've seen... That's it. We've seen people who have previously been in church but haven't been in church for years come back. We've seen people who've never been in church come and find a home here. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. The story has been going on and God has been at work. I'd like to um, just ask Ellie and Dave to come forward. Sorry, David. David to come forward so they can share their part of their story because we've all got our stories whether you've been here whether this is your first night or whether this is your you've been here for the whole year but we've all got different stories to share and these are just going to ask these two guys ladies first ellie um were you here on the first night i was brilliant what what has god done for you in this year through words
1: um, so, when I moved here, I moved here a year ago. Um, I'm a student nurse, and I really wanted to make Derby my home because when you're a nursing student, you don't really get actual student holidays. You're just like here forever. So, um, and I was coming from Dorset; so it's quite far away. And my big prayer was just like that I could find a home. And I came in. Um, my friend was at Focus. When you guys were prayed for, and she told me, she rang me up and she said, "Oh, there's a church in Derby that's opening. It's got like a funny name, and um, you should fair. you that's should check it out because they look really nice people." And so I thought, oh, "Okay, I'll go along." And I remember I sat next, like just over there, next to a guy called Jeremy. And I remember the first night, and I was just thinking, "Yeah, this is this is home." And I didn't go to like any other churches. I just stayed here, and it's just been so good. It's it's just like family. I found a family here Um, and it means a lot to me. It really does. And probably the biggest highlight for me was the weekend away um, because I was just struggling with some stuff and I was about to make a really bad decision and um, someone prayed for me and through what they said, they spoke a lot of words over me and I know it was God who said that and it completely like turned everything around and i just think the people here they really care and they really um they really show a lot of love and it is like a family that's for me that's the biggest thing it's become um and i really hope like if you're new here if you're a new student or if you've just started coming i really pray and hope that you find that
0: what i found amazing thank you so much hi david (laughs) Uh, Same question.
2: Uh, Yeah, so I'm a student radiographer. Uh, A what? A a student radiographer. Student radiographer. Uh, I moved from uh, (laughs) Scarbados, so Scarborough, um, about a year ago. uh, And I actually found out about uh, Werbs through uh, Bex. So I met Bex at Soul Survivor last year. And she was like, oh, I'm planting a church in Derby. And I was like, oh, I'll check it out and see what I think. I wasn't really that sure.
0: Bex is our youth worker, for those of you who don't know who Bex is.
2: Um... But I was just blown away. Like, like, the key thing here is family. Like, the amount of times Andy has taken me out for coffee or I've gone round to his house and he's fed me, it's just, I've lost count, to be honest. Um, so, there's just a massive family. Um, and then, for me, this year was all about baptism. So, I really wanted to get baptised. Um, due to, like, different circumstances, um, back in my own home, it just wasn't possible. Um, and I was like, I need to find a vicar mad enough who will come to the scene, in Scarborough and baptise me, and I need to find a worship pastor who's mad enough to play guitar on the beach. Um, and Phil was that person.
0: Not the worship pastor. <laughs> not the worship pastor. That, that's definitely, that was Matt. But. Um,
2: yeah, so there was about 42 of us on the beach. Um, but like Phil says, in the, um, like we're building an authentic community, and we're transforming our city and beyond. So I guess Scarbados is the beyond bit. But there was... <laughs> That's, that's somewhere <laughs> describing yeah, that's definitely the beyond that's, but, uh, yeah. there, there was uh, 42 of us and it was quite cold um, but like Phil says it's like although this building is really important it's all about transforming the city and beyond and it was just amazing to actually get baptised in the sea even though it was really really cold it was very cold and you can vouch for that as well But yeah it was
0: the North Sea is warm well. <laughs> um, David thank you so much thank you let's work. give these guys round of applause So I don't know what you think your story is. I don't know where you've come in on our journey over the year. As I said, you may be here for the very first time tonight, and if you are, you're still part of this story. Everybody loves a good story. Everybody loves a good story. Because as we read the stories, as we hear the stories, as we see what is going on, we are excited, we are, our imagination is spurred and we are compelled and our hearts are moved and we're engaged and we're thinking we want to be part of that story. And as we hear a story, we can attach ourselves to that story. We can say that's a story I want to be part of. I want to be part of the authentic community which is Christ-centered that's playing its part in transforming this city and beyond and praying to see this move of God and this revival come in this city. But actually our story is part of a bigger story that's going on. As Andy alluded to in his prayers at the beginning of the service, we're, we're part of a movement of churches that are being planted across this nation. You'll hear all this, the negative stories and the things that are going on about the statistics of people leaving the church. It's moved, things are changing. Churches are being planted all across this country. We are seeing a fresh move of God this month. Two new churches are being planted, one in Bristol, one in Southampton. It's amazing. We get to attach ourselves, as St. Warburgs, to something that is bigger than ourselves. But we get to attach ourselves actually to what is the greatest story ever told. God's story. The story of the scriptures, the story of God at work in our nation, uh, in in our world, should I say. Often people much cleverer and wiser than me would say it's a five-act story. There's a story of creation, of God creating the world and everything in it, and breathing life, and creating all the animals, and the rivers, and the mountains, and the sunsets, and God made everything. Creation, Act One. Second Act, Crisis. Humanity comes along and says, Well, we want to do without the Creator. We want to make do without someone who's designed it and created it and taught us how to live. We're going to do it on our own. We're going to be full of sin. We're going to turn ourselves in on ourselves, which is what sin means. It is about us and it is not about God. We rejected God. There was a crisis. And so, God, Act 3, creates a covenant, a promise. And he says, this, we, there is something better than this. And he tries to establish Abraham and his nation. And he, he tries to develop this nation that is blessed to be a blessing. There is a promise of something different. There is a promise that if you live your life like this and follow after God and live his way, God will bless you and do all these things. And there was this covenant made. But it was broken because of us. It was always going to fail because we couldn't keep part of the deal. And so in the midst of this, Act 4 comes along and God sends Jesus Christ, the Saviour, the one who transforms everything because he came and lived for us and he died for us. He wanted to put us back into relationship with the one who created us and he died because the Roman soldiers nailed him to the cross And they nailed him to the cross because the Jewish leaders couldn't understand. They thought he was being blasphemous by claiming that he was God, but he was and is God. And so Christ died for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we can have life and life eternal. We can be in a relationship with our creator and then fifth act, the church. Here you go. Get on with it. Live out your life in relationship with Jesus, but do it in community together. And so if you read scripture, it starts in the book of Acts and it goes on for the rest of the... It talks about how we do this. How do we live with one another in relationship with one another? The five acts. Creation, crisis, covenant, Christ, church. And we, as we hear that overarching story, we get to play our part in God's story because we are the fifth act Maybe even the sixth act, some people would say, that we get to write the next chapters. We get to live this out. And so a good story, a a really good story, compels us to live something differently. That's rubbish English. A good story compels us to live differently. That's better. Compels us to attach ourselves to something that is greater than ourselves People who write stories for a living will tell you that a good story needs a character, it needs a plot, it needs a setting, it needs some kind of challenge, something that has to be overcome and it needs a conclusion. You think classics, films, you get the boy, you get the girl, they meet one another, something happens, they're all lovely, something goes wrong, there's a challenge, they get back together at the end. But a really good story is one in which you can say, I'm going to connect to that. What story are you writing with your life? Because the world tells us that a good story for us is about succeeding, doing well, getting a nice job, getting married, earning lots of money, buying a Volvo. That is not a compelling story. I mean, that's a really dull story. The world tells us that a story is, our stories should be about you know, doing what everyone else does, being normal, going with the flow, fitting in, making friends. That's not a compelling story. The world tells us that our stories should be about comfort and materialism. And my life is just like this and I'm doing okay and everything's fine because I'm happy in my little world. That is not a compelling story. A compelling story is one that makes you think bigger, go further, sacrifice more. A compelling story is one that says, I am in when this hurts, and when it doesn't look like this is going to work. Jesus wrote the greatest story ever. He died for us, and it looked like it was all over, that his his friends left him and fled and couldn't want to be anywhere near him. But because it's the greatest story is because he defeated death. He didn't stay in the tomb. He rose again. And so we, us, all of us, get to write a better story with our lives. Is your life really going to be about getting a Volvo? Please don't ever make that your story. Could you commit to being part of this story? Of being part of a community that's saying, I am in this, not for me, but for others. We've, it's been amazing that God has brought us thus far and we are so grateful to him for bringing us here. But there is a city amongst us that we live in where 98% of this city do not know Jesus. There is more to do. Thus far the Lord has helped us, but now I want to write the next story. Our story really is only just beginning. I want to encourage you to take with you the birthday cards that you're sitting on. Um, The We Are One card. On the back of there is a passage that has spoken into my heart and spoken, I think, into the life of us as a church. I just want to read it to you. It's from Ephesians. It's the message version. I love how um, Eugene Peterson has translated this. God is building a home. He's using all of us, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home together we get to write a better story with our lives and as a church because we're part of a bigger story the greatest story ever told